Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Okay, this is the uh, prayer from Dallas Willard's Life Without Lack that we heard last week also. Um, So if you would join me in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful to you that you have said, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are thankful for the ease with which you walked upon this earth, the generosity and kindness you showed to people, the devotion with which you cared for those who were out of the way and in trouble, the extent to which you even loved your enemies and laid down your life for them. We are so thankful to believe that this is a life for us, a life without lack, a life of sufficiency. It is so clear in you the sufficiency of your Father and the fullness of life that was poured through you. And we're so thankful that you have promised that same love, that same life, that same joy, that same power for us. Lord, slip up on us today. Get past our defenses, our worries, our concerns. Gently open our souls and speak your word into them. We believe you want to do it, and we wait for you to do it now. In your name. Thank you, Kathy. I love that prayer, especially the stuff about slipping past us, because I think we so often have these defenses that keep us from what God really wants to do in our lives. So, hey, I'm Don. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see those of you inside, outside. I saw there was a bunch on the courtyard. And for all of you at home or that might be watching this during the week, uh, welcome. It's uh, great to have you with us. So uh, today we're going to be looking, we're going to continue to look at Psalm 23, and today we're looking at verses 2 and 3, and um, yeah, so we'll just jump into it. Here we go. Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So interesting, you know, I have no idea why... um, you know, this, is the, it, this one sentence, basically, is divided into two verses, right? Uh, verses 2 and 3. It, it is un, it's confusing a little bit. Why would you divide it? I just want to make sure we all know. I thought this was interesting, or a, a time to kind of teach, is that when the, when the scriptures were originally produced, they didn't have chapters and verses in them, right? It wasn't as if Paul sat down with Timothy and said, hey, Timothy, you take this down. Here, write this down. Okay, now verse 2. Okay, now, you know, it wasn't like that. That wasn't how the scripture, they were just written by people. David, basically, Psalm 23 is a psalm of praise. It's a worship song that he has put together. And then over time, in hundreds and hundreds of years, people then desiring to study it, that's when they put in chapters and verses and things like that. So we're looking at verses, what would be called 2 and 3a since there's more to chat verse 3. And then last week, you know, we talked about the attributes of the shepherd, and I might remind you of those uh, for a moment, um, that the shepherd provides, uh, the shepherd guides and leads, the shepherd protects, he rescues, and he is present. And this psalm ultimately is about that shepherd, about our God. And that's the most important thing to remember of this, is this is who God is right? He protects, he provides, he leads, and he guides, he rescues, and he is present with us, his people. 
So today I want to take a little bit of a moment and kind of a little bit of a switch and from these verses that we're looking at and send, take a look at the sheep today, okay? And to do that, um, I've used a little bit, another book along with Dallas's book, but uh, a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you've never read this little book, it is a classic. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. It's written by a man named Philip Keller who was a shepherd, and he uses his experiences as a shepherd to talk about this beautiful psalm. So, um, and here's some things he says about sheep. Sheep are not very bright. They can be obstinate. Um, I, I was thinking about this t- just a little bit. You know, a lot of times when you're in a small group, especially in youth ministry, we used to do this, you'd kind of get to know each other a little bit, Right? You would say, hey, if you, what animal would you be if you could be an animal? And people go around, oh, I'd be a lion because I'm da-da-da. Or I'd be a giraffe because I'm tall. Or I'd be like a golden retriever because I'm da-da-da. I, I don't think I ever remember anybody saying, you know what? I'm just going to be a sheep. All right? I, I think I always want to be a sheep. We, we don't like being sheep for various reasons. And the verse here that we're looking at says that he makes me lie down. And that's because sheep naturally do not want to lie down. They just don't. And there's several reasons why they would not lie down, typically. The first one is fear. Sheep are deeply fearful. They're afraid of predators, whether it be coyotes or mountain lions. Uh, Keller, in his book, talks about a time where um, he was out watching his sheep and some friends came up in their to see him in their truck, and out of the truck jumped some dogs that started to bark, and the whole, uh, all the sheep just started running away. They're deeply, deeply fearful of lots and lots of different things. What brings peace to the sheep is the presence of the shepherd, is what brings peace. So they're deeply fearful. The other reason that sheep will not lie down often is uh, there's conflict in the flock. And again, I, again, from Keller's book, I didn't realize this, but there is, you know how where we get the word pecking order, that comes from, come from hens and stuff like that. Well, in the, with sheep, there's something very similar. They know which of the sheep are the strongest, which are the oldest, which are the ones, and they typically, uh, the older sheep and the stronger will bully the younger lambs and take the choice spots in the fields. And so if, if there's that sort of conflict going on in the, in the flock, that the sheep will not lie down because that internal conflict that they're feeling. Third reason that Keller says they wouldn't lie down is that if there's pests involved in this, if there's flies or other bugs that are getting at the sheep. And he says that it's very important for a shepherd to know the terrain and the plant life of, a, of where they are. Because if he's bringing his sheep into a place where there's certain type of bugs and all that, they'll just be, they'll be all in them. They won't be able to sit down. They won't be. They'll be irritated and all that. And so they will not lay down. And then the fourth reason, and maybe the most one that makes the most sense for us, is that the sheep are still hungry. <laughs> they're not going to lie down in a green pasture where there's all this food around if they're still hungry. If a sheep hasn't eaten enough, they'll continue to walk and eat. The shepherd is the one that provides these green pastures. It's, it's, the climate in Palestine is very similar to ours. And so it was uh, incumbent upon a shepherd to actually prepare a field for his sheep. 
And if they haven't eaten enough, if they haven't had enough to fill, they will not lay down in that pasture. They'll continue to walk. They'll continue to eat. It's only once they're satisfied that they ultimately will then be able to lay down. And that's when the sheep really grow, when they can rest. Now, I think it's natural for us to look at this, look at these examples that Keller gives to to think about the the sheep and go, you know what, I, I can identify with those struggles. You know what, there's times when I feel fearful. When I am anxious, there's stuff going on. There are times when I feel conflict either in my family or in my home or at my work or even in my church. And so I kind of, there's that unrest sometimes. I can allow the the pests of life to get in on me and and there's distractions all the time. And then there's times where I just am not feeling like I'm satisfied. And I can go after things that aren't great for me. And so we can identify with these pictures of the sheep and not be having them to lie down. And yet it says that the shepherd makes them lie down. He knows that's what's best for them. The, the fact that... Um, that David says that um, he restores my soul means that um, his soul needs restoring, that, that it's damaged or it's, it's broken. You know, our soul is that deepest part of who we are. It's, it's uh, the other word that's used in Scripture is, is the heart, but it's, it's what um, brings the whole person together is what, a soul is. It, it, it brings your will, which is the decisions you make. It, it, it brings your mind, which are the thoughts and the feelings and your values together. It, it even brings your body together, which is your face and your, your body language and your actions. And that's what a soul does. It, it brings all of that together. And, and a soul is healthy, or another word that they use is it's well-ordered. When there's harmony between your will and your mind and your body, and, and there's a sense that there's a, a connection there, and you're connected with God, and you're connected with other people, and you have a healthy soul. An unhealthy soul is one that experiences disintegration. You're not, you're not feeling whole. That's that struggles, those internal struggles we feel at times. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus was with a crowd, and he says this. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? That that we actually can forfeit our soul. That, 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 That losing our soul is not so much this future destination of like, of being separated from God for eternity, but it's what's happening now in your life. That the decisions we make, 
that the things we go after can actually cause us to lose our soul, to lose that integration of who we are as a person. The decisions we make can lead us down those roads to where all of a sudden we don't realize that our soul has been lost. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That there are sinful desires from without and from within that actually wage war against our souls. You ever, you feel that, you know that, you know that war that we feel, the, 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 the constant stuff that's going on in our souls? You know, it, it's, it's God's desire for his creation to flourish. It, it's God's desire that all of humankind, those of us created in his, his image, would flourish, and we all have souls. He gives us a soul. Now, because of sin, we live in this broken world, and yet God wants us to have souls that are integrated, a soul that is whole. And so I believe that God created the family, a mom and a dad and some kids and and at a place where, where kids could grow up and their souls could be, could be strong. Right? The, the first thing God says to people is that they were to be fruitful and multiply and that we are to rule over all of his creation so that it flourishes. But the problem is, because of sin and because of brokenness, our families aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. That we are to raise our children to love God and to love others and to love themselves. But no family is perfect. And over time, some of our soul gets ripped apart. We might feel like our parents aren't fair. We might feel like uh, our sister or our brother is loved more than we are it can be tough growing up, and kids can be so brutal to one another. And what happens is a bit of your soul gets ripped apart. And then we grow into adolescence. And adolescence is this incredibly important time where there's three questions that every adolescent is trying to answer. You all answered it. Most of every one of you is past adolescence in here that I see. Barely. But here are the questions. Who am I, where do I belong, and what difference can I make in the world? That every adolescent, that's the answer the questions they're trying to look for. And, and then they're experiencing puberty and all that stuff that goes on there. And, and then we throw them all together in this place that we call junior high. There's other names we could call that, I think. And in the midst of all that, of trying to figure out who you are and where you belong and, and how you can make a difference, oh, my goodness, just more ripping a part of our souls. You go through high school and college and all of that, and you might have some dating folks and have relationships and breakups and hurts and all that stuff is happening. 
maybe you get married and have some kids and, and then you start trying to raise your kids and you start this whole process over again. Some folks get divorced and experience that sort of pain. You might lose a job. You might have financial struggles. It might be extended family drama addictions, disappointments, you might feeling feelings of abandonment. And our soul can be broken. And you get to be 61, and you realize your soul still needs some restoration. You could be 11, 21, 31, 41, 51, 61, 71, 81, 91, 101. And you realize, my soul needs some restoring. And the beautiful thing of this verse that we're looking at today, where he says, he restores my soul, is this. It's a continual process. One Bible scholar says this, that the Hebrew root for the word restore used in Psalm 23 means healing or refreshing, or taking back. The form of the verb denotes that this is an ongoing, continuous action. God continually initiates the activity of restoring us. We just need to be open to it. Isn't that great news? (laughs) It wasn't like, hey, you had a chance. You know, when you went to that camp back in high school, you had a chance to get it restored, or you had a chance here or there. No, it's a continual process that God has us, that he takes our souls and says, yeah, I can fix that no matter where you are. Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament is another beautiful chapter where the Lord talks about that he will shepherd his people. Basically, what he says to the leaders of Israel is say, hey, you guys are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You, you political leaders, you religious leaders, you priests, people like myself, pastors, and all that, you're not doing what you're supposed to do for my people. So he says, I will do it. I'm going to take over what you were supposed to be doing. And he says, I'll shepherd my people. And he says, I will search for them. I will rescue them. I will bring them into rich pasture. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd them. And I believe that that's what the leading beside quiet waters means. It's part of the healing and restoration in this passage. You see, the waters aren't rushing. The waters are calm. The water is safe. The sheep can easily drink from the waters if they need to, or the shepherd can actually take the sheep into the water to be washed or to have their wounds cleansed. He leads us beside quiet waters for cleansing and restoration. And and the way for you and I to have our soul restored is to allow Jesus to be our shepherd. Dallas Willard in his book, Life Without Lack, has this beautiful quote. He says, we are blessed to live in a world where there is a fully self-sufficient, 
generous God who wants to provide what is best for us and loves us more than we could ever imagine. Isn't that great news? That, that we are fortunate to live in a world where that's the type of God we have. Who loves us more than we could ever imagine. He wants to provide what is best for us. And he wants to heal your soul no matter what condition your soul's in. So one day Jesus was actually on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. But he had to go through Jericho first. And he's going through Jericho, and he's become fairly popular at this time. So it's kind of as if there's a parade going through the the streets of Jericho. And there's a man in Jericho named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector of that town. He, in essence, has sold his soul for worthly gain. He's wealthy. He's not well-liked in town. And he's short. So nobody will let him get to see Jesus coming by. He's trying to work his way in. Guys are pushing him away. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. So he runs ahead. He climbs a a sycamore fig tree. Trying to talk too fast. And he climbs up in the tree so he can see Jesus. And Jesus is walking along. And when he gets there, he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. Now, we don't know. I mean, Jesus is God, so he could just know his name. He could have asked some people around, Hey, who's that guy up in the tree? But the beautiful thing is he calls him by name. You see, that's what the good shepherd does, right? Calls us by name. So Zacchaeus hurries down out of the tree, and he's right there with Jesus. And Jesus says this beautiful thing to him. Hey, we're going to eat a meal together. You and I. We're going to eat a meal. The crowd begins to get kind of unruly that he's going to the house of a sinner, someone who's not well-liked. But Jesus looks at the crowd and says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You see, Zacchaeus' soul was lost. And yet Jesus (laughs) answers those things. Who am I? Zacchaeus, come on down. I want you to be with me. Where do I belong? Zacchaeus, you belong with me. What difference can I make? Zacchaeus says, hey, I'll give everything back I've stolen. I can live differently. I can be different because of this. So a really important step in living this life without lack that we talk about is to take ourselves and our soul, no matter what shape it's in, and bring it before Jesus, And just say, Lord, I need you to restore my soul. I need you to take me beside those quiet waters. I need you to heal me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to do what you do. 
and to take all my brokenness and make me whole again. That's what Jesus can do. And that's what it means to experience this life without lack. Because we're trusting the shepherd. We're trusting the one who is totally sufficient. We're trusting the one who can heal us no matter what shape our soul is in. Let's pray together. So Lord, each of us, no matter where we are today, feel a bit like our some of our soul has been ripped apart. And our prayer, Lord, is that you would come and heal us that you would come and restore us. Jesus, you came to seek and save what was lost. So find us. Bring us back. Heal us and bring us home. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.